0: Today's speaker is Lee McClish. Lee is Director of Maintenance and Reliability at NTT-GDC Americas, a global telecommunications and data center company. Across his career, he's held a number of roles as a maintenance manager, reliability engineer. He also served in the Navy as a submarine officer. He holds a BSME, MBA, CMRP, CRL, CPMM, and finally, Lee recently literally wrote the book on maintenance leadership uh his book Maintenance Leadership 101 was published through Reliability Web and is available on Amazon. Lee, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited for today's presentation and with that, I'll hand it over to you for your uh
1: for your talk. All right, thanks Eric. Yeah, I'm honored to be here and uh I just hope that everybody learns a little bit of something, gets some tool or nugget of uh of what I go over and based on uh, my experiences. So I've been in three different uh, manufacturing companies. And I work for a data center company, which is a little different, but I've I really enjoyed it. So I, Eric kind of already went over all this stuff about me. So I want to start out just to get an idea of the audience. You know, do you supervise a maintenance or reliability crew? Just have an idea who I'm talking to. And as those results come in, um, I'm going to get just kind of show the agenda. So these are the the main um high-level elements you know I plan on kind of talking about <clears throat> and um so I want to start out with uh, a quote on leadership from uh one of our former secretaries of state colin Powell he said leadership is solving problems the day that soldiers stop bringing their problems is the day that you stop leading them they have either lost confidence that you can help or they concluded that you do not care. In either case, is a failure of leadership. <clears throat> and I think that's so true, particularly in the maintenance world. You know, you know, one of your <clears throat> most important things is solving problems, because the day doesn't go by that somebody doesn't bring some kind of a problem to you. Whether it's somebody that works for you, a peer, somebody in production area, you know, there's always problems, you know, out there to to be solved. So. <clears throat> I think you know take care of the people the human capital aspect is one of the most important things you know you, you got to have some fun so some of the teams I've had you know we've gone out and like played paintball together you know that's a pretty good you know team uh, building event you know I took a group I mean his guys to a comedy club you know we all really got a lot of good laughs I took another group to a concert there's all kinds of things out there you can do you can also just, you know give gift cards Um, You know, folks, when they do a good job, I mean, nothing goes further than just saying good job. You know, just telling somebody one-on-one or, you know, maybe in a crew meeting, a safety moment, you know, bring out something where somebody's done something really positive and do your best to reinforce that that positive behavior. Uh, One of the biggest keys, I think, is your credibility. You know, do you do what you say you're going to do? Um, And as you go out, walk around the plant, you know, and somebody brings a problem to you, you know, do you forget it before you get back to your office? And one thing I did is I had just a little three by five steno pad always kept in my pocket. If I didn't write it down, I probably did forget it. And then uh, whatever solution or resolution you come up with, make sure you get back to that individual and tell them, hey, I did this, or, well, it was a really great idea, but for these reasons, you know, maybe it doesn't quite make sense, or maybe it's something, hey, as we continue to mature, that's something we'll look at in the future, but people really appreciate that feedback, and if they never get it, they'll probably start bringing up, you know, good suggestions. And you always got to remember that you can't please everybody. Remember in the Navy, I had a petty officer just griped about everything. There wasn't anything that you know, he wasn't complaining about, and so one day I said, you know, Pastor Moore, more, I bet you if I gave you next week off as vacation, you'd complain about it. He says, "Yeah, you're probably right because I wouldn't want next week. I'd want a different week." And so at that point, I'm like, "Okay, you know, I give, you know, can't really can- compete with that." Um, so, do we have the results of the poll question by chance? And I apologize, Lee. For some reason, the poll would not um, would not post for us. Okay, <clears throat> that's fine. I'll just continue on. Believing most everybody on the call has has some leadership role if not that's fine um so characteristics of a leader i think that particularly in a maintenance reliability role knowledge is power you know you really have to understand your equipment you have to understand you know your building your building systems you know because people are going to come to you and expect you to, to have that knowledge so of course you're not going to have all knowledge I mean, even if you know maybe you were uh, you know just one of the top mechanics or electricians you kind of grew up to be the supervisor you have a lot of knowledge, but maybe your expertise was in mechanical or electrical and things like that. So, you know, when, one example I kind of think of is one day, you know, we lost all the, the water supply to the plant. Uh, you know, you just can't run production if you don't have water coming in. And they had a leak kind of in the back. And it only really affected, you know, my plant. Um, it's where our, our main water line, you know, came in. So they had a city had to come and isolate it. Well, what I remembered was along the front of our property in the front of the plant you know was a line of fire hydrants it was a whole separate supply from another you know part of the block and so we went and got a whole bunch of fire hoses and ran them all the way to the back of the plant and and tied it in um, you know our domestic water intake and uh, you were able to bring production up it took a couple hours but you know just one example the more you know about your plant and your systems you know where is your natural gas come in or you know your your electrical and whatnot you know, it's good to know those kinds of things uh, and a good leader will do good planning you know if you're if you have a rebuild project you know have you really gone back in and looked at all the work orders you know have you looked at maybe vendor reports you know th- uh, history you know hopefully you have a file whether it's in paper you know or in the computer you can go back and look at you know, maybe some problems they had before and you're still experiencing them and, you know, whatever you can do to make that rebuild, you know, go a lot better. Collaboration, I think is key. You know, you have to to be able to talk to the operations people in their language, you know, talk to finance people, you know, really in reliability, you get involved in just about every aspect, you know, of of running a business. So you have to know when to involve who, you know, that's a, a, a key thing. And it really depends on the, the size of the plant or maybe you have multiple plants and different organizations. But you, you'll know who is the best people to get involved in. Um, so some of the foundations. Um, uh, one thing is training. You know, I, I just, for me, I really stress training a lot. Um, So when I got on my first plant, there was like one guy who could troubleshoot electrical stuff. And everybody was happy to let him do it, but it didn't really help the plant much. And he only worked one shift, you know, we were a three shift operation. So what I did was I kind of tapped into his knowledge and set up a schedule. We went through all the machines. We had him bring in the drawings, you know, we kind of like, he went through and described like, you know, a lot of failures that we have and common problems. And then we did another round where we took the drawings out the machine, opened cabinets. You we were able to get an hour downtime where they could do that and kind of show you, you know, right there, hands on. And then I did a third round where he would insert a trouble spot. And then each person got the chance to kind of troubleshoot. So something like that is kind of homegrown. You know, you're, you're taking your, your senior guys, giving them a lot of ownership. You know which they do, and they're they're usually really proud. You know to kind of show off their knowledge and whatnot. So That's one you know one thing you might consider. Um, Vendor training. So I would have either Motion or Granger come in. Um, You know I give training on bearings and seals, and uh, one time I had to just do it on roller chain. And uh, after that training, you know one of my senior guys, 35 year veteran, says, you know Lee, I, I learned something about roller chain today that I didn't know. And I'm like, okay. That was well worth it besides, you know, them bringing the donuts, right? Um, IR scanning, so my first plan when I got there, nobody ever heard of IR scanning. So I had them come in, very, very skeptical, particularly that senior, you know, electrician. And they had like 25, 30 deficiencies. So I signed, you know, the work orders to my electrician. He went out and some of the lower voltage stuff, you know, he kind of touch it and see, hey, it's warm, you know, tighten up the lug you know, and it would kind of cool off. And it's so it's kind of like a Doubting Thomas, you know, but he ended up becoming a believer in it. And it was something we did, you know, every year religiously. Um, you know, and then certifications are good for training, you know, send people out, you know, maybe pick a, something that might make sense. It might not be, a, you know, a CMRP, you know, but it could be the CMRT or, you know, for the technician level, you know, it might be something, you know, just a journeyman electrician you know, but kind of look at those things. You know, one one plant, you know, we um, didn't even have a list of our PLCs. So we got the list of the PLCs. It's the older plant. We had like six or seven different makes. You know, some of it we didn't have the software. You know, it was like kind of getting your arm around it. And um, so I started picking a few guys. Okay, you go to the, you know the two day you know OEM you know based training. and Then they'd be the train the trainer person and come back and train other folks. So I kind of had coverage in all the shifts. You know, people could get in there rather than just leaving the machine down all night, you know, because they didn't have anybody that could work on it. Culture. So every conference I go to, that's what everybody talks about is their culture. And every plant, every department, every company, they all have kind of their own thing. You always hear like, well, this is the way we've always done it. Well, maybe it isn't quite the best way. I even hear that in the data center world, you know, data centers. Yeah. They've been around since, you know, like the early eighties. Basically my company is about 20 years old. I have people that have only been there five years. Like, well, this is the way we've always done it. I'm thinking, well, you know, I've been in other places where the guy's been there 35, 40 years and, and that has, carries a lot more weight. You know, we really need to kind of take the blinders off and look at what how things can be done, not necessarily the data center way, you know, but maybe it's something they do in oil and gas or maybe something they do in pulp and paper. You know, there's always things to learn, you know, from from other folks in the maintenance reliability world. And then you have a lot of older folks. Well, it's a program of the month. You know, it's something that, you know, yeah, they the corporate brings this thing in, you know, and then it good it just goes away because it wasn't effective. So it's always good to, to bring things into the fold with buy-in, not just at the deck plate level, but, you know, get the support, you know, from the managers. So you really have to have both and you have to figure out how to get both. So one recommendation I have is kind of start small, you know, and, and come up with, okay, we're actually going to do, you know, IR scanning maybe in one department, or maybe you are going to do vibration analysis on just one machine or one pump type, or something. and collect data for, you know, a quarter and go through it and see what kind of results you get. And then, then uh, highlight, you know, the problems that you found and uh, make sure that gets communicated at all levels, of course, that, hey, you know, this is going to be an issue. um you know, A lot of, one thing I started doing a few years back was motor circuit analysis. Not a lot of folks do that, but there's a lot of different Elements of it, a lot of different ways, you know, that, that black box can come up with a lot of different results. You know, kind of choose the ones you think are most worthwhile. And, um, you know, a lot of big motors out there, people don't have spares. So if you can send it out on a controlled basis and get that thing rebuilt, you know, that, that can you can really kind of be a hero in a way. Sometimes your maintenance guys, they like to pat themselves on the back. Hey, I went out and fixed this, right? and next week, hey, I went out and fixed it. You know, it's the same problem. You know, those are things you got to kind of keep your ear to the ground, you know, and, um, you know, make sure you kind of nip them and come up with a good plan for, you know, permanently taking care of those problems. Um, And ownership, one place I kind of came up with is, well, actually it was a company program, kind of zone maintenance. It really didn't stick to the wall and, and all the plants, but we took like a department of like equipment had a maintenance guy that, okay, you're the only one that's going to do the preventive maintenance checks, you know, on this machine. They really got familiar with it, and I expected them to spend a lot of their time while they're running, you know, to listen to things, you know, kind of be tied to the, you know, the production, you know, operator. You know, they're kind of taking care of a lot of their immediate needs. And sometimes it's something simple, you know, like moving a button, you know, hey, the light went out on this switch or different things that makes their lives a lot easier. And it kind of kind of closes that gap a little bit because usually you know the maintenance guys are saying you know the operators they just run the machine to break it the operator's like well the maintenance guys never fix it so the more they can work together you know it really it helps a lot another thing i wasn't really afraid of is having you know work orders in the system maybe for a long period like we went and changed these uh, corrugating roles in a corrugated plant and something we only did like every two years and there's about seven thousand play in it and i'm like, well. You know, it's Sunday morning, I don't really have time. I'm not gonna be able to mobilize and get this thing back up, you know, for third shift tonight. Um, and it was like it was an acceptable range, but it was really kind of on the limit. So I put a work order in and work order was in there for two years, and two years later, you know, I had all set up, you know, brought the company in with a boring machine, you know, went on board it and sleeved it and and we were good to go. So I always felt, you know, I want to make the system work for me. <clears throat> you know, if somebody wants to question why I got that worker out there, you know. I don't be able to justify that for a good reason. Key cases is always key. <clears throat> One thing I did was I'd have <clears throat> crew meetings, and I actually required all three shifts to be there. So it was really a pain in the neck for the guys on second shift because I'd make them come in at 7 a.m., but I really felt that it was a once-a-month thing. I could kind of talk about the State of the Union. You know, here's all the initiatives. And then you also got all three shifts in the same room because sometimes there's always that finger point, right? Well, you know, third shift did that, they didn't know what they were doing or I didn't know what they were doing. And so those things kind of help with that that communication, you know, with just in, with your own department. And of course, you know, having some expectation for crew turnover, uh, you know, one plan, I had to adjust my own hours and I had to get in there at 6 a.m., you know, because that's when uh, shift turnover was and I want to be visible to the, the night shift folks. Uh, another thing I thought I did pretty factor one company was I had a monthly, like a maintenance reliability meeting where I had the plant manager, you know, I had all the department heads, Then I had to keep people on my team, the storeroom manager, a purchaser, supervisor, or, or scheduler, and we would go through, hey, here's what I come up with our meantime between failure report. You know, here's issues with parts and you know, how much inventory we have, and here's this initiative you know, hey, here's what we're kind of doing with PM plans and maybe we're doing some optimization, those kinds of things. And I think that really kind of helps bridge another gap, you know, at the management level between folks. And as long as your plant manager supports it, um, it really goes a long ways. Um, bulletin boards are good. You know, I say had like downtime charts, uh, whatever the KPIs metrics are charting, you know, so everybody could see them um mostly the maintenance people but maybe you got a more central location you know so everybody in the plant can see it or maybe just have your own maybe have a wall that has every department has their own you know you know whatever it is those things are a great way to communicate and um you know and and people are interested you know they want to know particularly if it's like a zone maintenance effect you know they want to see you know how their downtime is is trending solving problems is a big i think a, a key thing um and it might not be just Failures. You know, I got involved in once where we were making these great big, you know, they're about 100-inch long um, boxes for General Electric of uh, fluorescent light bulbs. And we were sent them out in the flat, and then we have a, um, just a, a manual labor company that we, you know, were, were hiring to fold them in half, because that's the way the customer needed them to feed them into their machine. So, I was kind of challenged, like, you know, is there any way we can do this on our machine? And it was a pretty wide machine, only had maybe a 15, 20 foot stacker area. And so, you know, I, I kind of looked at a couple other machines and they're folding, brought in a machine shop, and we made up these rails. And we were able to get that thing folded over in half. I mean, it's, you know, 50 inches going one way in um, that 15 feet, and they were able to do it at speed. So, you know, things like that that really help out, <clears throat> really. Helps a lot. Then we're getting a new machine. It's like, well, where do we put this thing? So, had a lot of meetings with, you know, our production manager and our superintendent, and you know, when I had an architect come in because we didn't really have a good plant overall drawing that was current with the position machines, and like made little paper things out of them and took, move them around, and we bring in crews. You know, I had meetings actually with every crew in a in a in a plant and say, hey, we you know we're going to get this fresh new machine that we've never had before that does extra things and you know where do we put it and and it really opened my eyes I was really amazed at some of the the operators even though they just stand there and do one thing it's not something that really excites me but there's a lot of great insight you know that I got particularly from some of the seasoned you know veterans that really helped our project um, just be a lot more effective and better processes so the more you can define, the better. It's good to have written documentation, you know, policies, procedures, um, processes. Um, for our CMMS, you know, we created a user's guide. It's got screenshots. Hey, here's the work order types. You know, here's the statuses. This is the work order flow. You know, from beginning to end. You know, the, all those types of things. You know, really kind of help. You know, people get on the same page. And, um, you know. Equipment hierarchy, all those basic foundations. Uh, one thing like I found in data centers is, you know, we really didn't have like, you know, the plant, right? And then the department and then the machine and then the section machine. You know, we have like generators and UPSs. And so we ended up doing it by type. So like electrical, you know, critical mechanical, you know, support mechanical. So you might have to tailor that a little bit, you know, to your your industry. And just, you know, that integrity, you know, when they installed their CMS, did they actually have data? Did they spend the time to go out and actually get, you know, the model number and serial number of all the equipment and all that nameplate type of information that can be critical? You know, otherwise every time something breaks, you gotta send somebody running out there. And if it's a big enough site, you know, they gotta go get in their golf cart, you know, and find a building and find equipment and just kinda, it's pretty inefficient. the, the storeroom, of course, you know, is critical. You know, making sure that yeah you have what you need when you have it, not too much, and things don't have a lot of dust on them. You're getting some turnover. You know, you're looking at your turns. You're doing cycle counts. You know, those types of things is pretty important in this environment with all the, you know, the, the storeroom and supply chain, you know, issues. Um, another area I think is as the years have gone by is I think is really important is lubrication. You know, if you think about most of your failures, and if it's mechanical, it's the chances are it's somehow related to lubrication, whether it's greasing, over-greasing, under-greasing, not greasing, you know, maybe nobody ever found that zerk fitting there. You have a failure and they put the new bearing on and you know, maybe nobody took the time to find it. Um, and uh, or oil, you know, either way, there's some good companies out there. the Noria Corporation's got a really good you know like uh, journey you know what you should do. Uh, I went through that in one of my plants, you know, we our oil room was just a disaster. You know, we got organized, we've kind of consolidated, you know, we didn't need you know 10 different kinds of hydraulic fluids. We did the color coding, you know, we color code the drum, the container, you know, put that little sticker on the gearbox, you know, make sure that you're using the right oil, all those types of things. Desk case is another good you know, company has done a lot, you know, in that area. Uh, and working with vendors, <clears throat> you know, I I hear a lot in my current company, like, oh, we didn't know the vendor was there. Like, uh, how can that be? How, how can you, you know, have control over what's going on in your plant if you don't know they're there? Or if they come and they go and they leave <clears throat> without talking to you? So that was something that at least in my plants where uh, my responsibility is kind of ironclad, and the thing that really forces is your communication with them um, on what the problems are and maybe what some other pending problems might be, you know, because they're not going to write all that stuff in their service report. And then if it's something, well, boy, I'm not really sure about that, and then you just walk out to the machine or wherever it is with them, and you're sitting there looking at it together, and often that would reveal something else or other problems, you know, that maybe hadn't come to light yet. So there are some good practices, I think um and then <clears throat> reliability you know pm optimization can't say enough about that you know there's lots of studies out there you know people going out consultants if you will or you do it internally either way and i've, I've heard up to 30 percent of the tasks really aren't that necessary so it's all focused on reliability center maintenance with failures you know that really is the, the bedrock you know what do i have failures for i mean there are certain things that yeah okay you can set up a bunch of Analytics, you know, add sensors and all that stuff. Sometimes you just have to like go visit, look at it. You know, it's collecting a bunch of, you know, stuff. You know, are they over greasing it because it's all dripping down the machine? There are some inspections I think that you still, I advocate you have to do on a time-based, you know, frequency. But I think there's a lot of value to do, you know, PMO and go through that. And and for the critical equipment, I've gone through and done an FMEA, and that's really kind of helped. I found some duplicate you know, task, I found some area, like I took a generator, okay, you know, you got to drive belt, you got to generate yourself, got an alternator, starter, all these things. And, you know, do I, am I addressing this? You know, is there a task for that? And if you can throw in all that failure data, you know, with that, you know, it really helped, you know, give you a good product. And you think about lean, is there such a thing as lean maintenance? I didn't really believe that there was, but I was with one company, and they said, hey, we're going to go through lean. And they, and they brought in one, hired a, uh, a manager of one department who had been in automobile, automobile industry, and he brought all these tools and things. I like, okay, well, I ended up, you know, really uh, doing S, you know, you know, six segment in, uh, in the shop, you know, all the sustain, you know, all that stuff. You know, we, you know, had little outlines of paint around our equipment you know, kind of tied it up like, you know, all your spare metal, you know, you know, bin is, you know, all those kinds of things. I think it really helped a lot. I came up with standard work, um, went through TPM. So, you know, if you do much reading on TPM, it's really, it's not a maintenance activity, it's really a plant activity. And so, you know, I got invited to, to attend one of our TPM sessions, you know, and they were like three, four days long. And it was really just basically a maintenance gripe session. And I, and I told my boss, the plan manager, of that. So he kind of threw it back at me. He says, "Well, why don't you run them?" So okay. So I actually got this book by Joel Levitt called TPM Reloaded, and which I th- I think really gave you a good outline. And so we had like a two-phase thing, and we did one phase where we got all them gripes out, and then we went. And since so me being in charge of you know maintenance, and you know I kind of prioritized all this corrective stuff that we needed to do, and we, and we did that, and then. The second, so we got a little bit of credibility there. And then the second round, you know, I brought in some of my maintenance guys. We go over the PM plans and what predictive maintenance we do and kind of help educate, you know, the operators and all this other things we're doing that maybe they knew about, maybe they didn't. You know, we looked at visual management, you know, put little, you know, arrows on gauges, put maybe a green, red, you know, sectors on gauges. There's some areas where they have to adjust guides and things. So we would buy some rulers and put on, and then they could put in their procedures. Hey, I'm gonna set this at you know 12.5 inches or whatever. You know, things like that goes a long way, closing that gap and just helping the plant you know be better. Improvement, <clears throat> you know, scheduling and planning is is huge. Um, you may have a scheduler, you may have a planner, you may have a coordinator, maybe you're just a supervisor, you're doing it all on your own. Either way, you have to have a plan. I, I don't know how you can really run you know, maintenance without having a weekly planning meeting, and it shouldn't just be maintenance, you know, it should be production, so you understand what their needs are, what priorities they have, you know, what interferences you might have, what you might not be able to get done. As you go into it, okay, you know, this next week, you know, here's my schedule, so I will put that together, put in a wall, so everybody knew, email it out, however you communicate it, then lo and behold, Monday morning, oh, hey, we had a customer call, we can't do this, like, okay, uh, what machine can I have? You know, that would be my first question, and then my second question would be, okay, well, what day can I do, you know, maintenance on that machine? Otherwise, you know, the scheduler, you know, he's he didn't have time, he didn't want to look at it and deal with it. You know, he's got too many other priorities, too many other variables to deal with. So that's one way I I think, you know, I end up really pushing and being able to get machines and just, you know, kind of be a, a little bit of a stick in the mud, but not be too inflexible because. My job relies on those customers too, right? And then sometimes it'd be, okay, yeah, we can't get it for a week. So okay, well, guess what, guys? We're gonna come in on Sunday because we're not gonna let this just keep linger and lingering, lingering, and, and you know, and be overdue. And and of course, you know, I would go in, you know, with them. There's a lot of good things, and uh, you know, a lot of you, I'm sure, heard about Doc Palmer's, you know, Bible, you know, is planning and scheduling handbook. I think it's a really good thing. When I got to where I'm at, my company. I actually bought that book from our maintenance coordinators and signed them the first six chapters to kind of read through them. Because there is a big difference between data centers and and manufacturing and, you know, in data centers, you have the same people do some of the maintenance and they operate it. And then a lot of the maintenance's OEMs come in on an annual basis, uh, just because a lot of proprietary software and HMIs and whatnot. And, field changes and and things like that. So, and then with that, I found a, um, there's a a planning and scheduling certification out there. You know, there's a couple of organizations that do it. Like people and processes, Iriducio, both are great training companies. And they it gets accredited through the, um, RMC, the Reliability Maintainability Center for the University of Tennessee. So it's a six month program. And they learn a lot—not just planning, and scheduling, but reliability. They have their own coach, and it's really gone a long ways and kind of opened the blinders on our on our folks. Like, how could it be done? You know, not how have we been been doing it. Uh, continuous improvement. You know, part of the the TPM I went through with the operators is we created like housekeeping checklists. You know, I tasked them. I said, well, you know, on a weekly basis, what should you be doing? You know, we documented it, and we had. We also had um, like an operator maintenance TPM sheet. You know, we like say for, you know, photo regulator lubricators, you know, FRLs, you know, who's going to go out and check the level of it? You know, you don't want to maybe wait a month or quarter if that's your interval for maintenance uh, PMs. So yeah, have them go check the level and things like that. So we'd have a sheet with a picture you know, an arrow pointing to the section of the machine where it was and here's what you do. So that anybody coming from another machine that day because somebody caught off sick, you know, they can follow this guide and, and be able to go through it. And that, that helps them get a little bit more involved, you know, with, with you know, the unskilled type of uh, maintenance. Um, making changes. You know, sometimes you might have great ideas about changing something. So I know one time where I was pretty new, we we're Changing this belt out on our, our core game machine, great big wide belt is really long. And you know, the maintenance guy's done it before, so they figured out a way to, you know, connect the, the the new one to the old one and kind of run it through all the rollers so you get it going through the right sequence. And well, the old one was fully cotton. And whoever bought the new one, you know, it was like cotton on one side and rubber kind of on the other side. And I just bright idea that, well, it'd be good. You know leave the cotton where the product goes on so the product doesn't get on this black rubber you know and get marked well they went to start up Sunday night and that belt wouldn't move because you got rubber you know on this like masonry type of thing like my boss just told me the next day he says, well next time you plan on making a change like that just let me know first <laughs> <I'm> like okay <laughs> yeah well said you know it's a little bit too green at that point but you have to kind of evaluate those things um on that same machine the main drive there's like a 3 foot pinion or not pinion but a, a bolt gear had a small pinion pinion make a lot of noise and um I didn't have one I was ordering one but it was going to take 2 weeks to get it it came to come from England and um, I said okay so I brought motion in so they had one that would fit so shut it down put that on well 3 days later the, the new one sounded worse than the old one and uh turned out it was this really special uh, material, it was like an EN 18 or something. It was just like this English, you know, version of how they designate their steel. And it was actually end up being the same as a HY80, you know, which they make submarine hauls out of, which I knew about. So I ended up putting the old one back on, you know, until we got, you know, the right material. So you always have to do your research. And sometimes, you know, those details matter. You know, limiting factors, you know, it's always good to walk around and you know ask the operator. well, what happened when you turn it up? You know, and it's it's different than like, well, why didn't you turn it up? You know, it's kind of like, well, what happened? Like you're assuming, you know, that they've already looked at what their limiting factor is and you know what may be causing a quality issue or just not getting the production out that they should. Always evaluating your labor usage. You know, doing wrench times. You know, see where your labor's going. I think. You know, doing that wrench time is a really good thing because it kind of looks at all your processes. You know, it looks at your storeroom, what parts you may or may not have, what materials, you know, maybe you don't have um, sometimes skills, your skill levels, all those types of things. Uh, yeah, asset so management plans are something that my current company, we did a lot of work on over last year. We went out and got a consultant, created a SAMP. You know, we looked at all our asset types, generators, UPSs, batteries you know, looked at, you know, the risk, you looked at, you know, safety aspects, looked at all the work I'd done, you know, on PM optimization, critical spares, um, all those types of things that go into our scopes and how we maintain our equipment, kind of more formalizing that, I think, you know, really brought to light and getting some engineers and technical folks and operations folks involved, kind of gets everybody on the same pace so everybody knows you know why that policy is set and why that's important to do those types of things. Some methods, you know whatever you do, make it easier for them. You know is there something you can do to if you make the job easier for them, they're going to embrace it a lot more. Sometimes you can't help it, maybe it adds a few steps, you know, but if they understand you know the benefit of it, if you can really get that across, whether it's a cost thing or, or you know what have you, you know something for the customer. You know, you just really got to kind of sell that. You know, reliability is always a big thing, building the business case. You know, how do you justify doing IR scanning every year or doing that vibration analysis, whether it's in-house or, or external? Um, you you got to put some numbers to it, you know, look at cost, and then figure out on uh, previous failures. If you had these programs, you know, what would have cost you? You know, what would have been, you know, I know one machine I had, one of my senior maintenance guys heard this, you know, well, actually the, the operator been there 20 years on that machine since the plant was open. So I'm hearing this noise. Senior maintenance guy goes, ah, you know, you're fine. Well, guess what, the next day it crapped out. And it turned out a bearing was going on a, an opinion, you know, um, and there was a big um, cam on an arc there and it just all got damaged. It ended up being like a twenty thousand dollar just parts repaired, the machine was down for a week. It's like, golly, you know, if if just would have said, Hey, we just need a you know, maybe half an hour or something, you know, take the cover off. So I you know, I end up putting a Lexon cover on so you could like, at least see it in the future, it's something I wish I'd done before, but you know, you always got 2020 20 hindsight, right? Of course, um, you know, how, how do you track things? You know, you gotta have some type of KPIs and metrics. Uh, I put out a monthly scorecard, you know, it's things that I think is important, you know, looking at overdue PMs. Um, and it's always to drive behavior, right? Uh, it could be something where, you know, once I just inter, introduced SAP, we just got it going, you know, we need to build all those you know bills and materials. You know, it takes a long time. I think it took us nearly two years but we tracked our progress every month. You know, are we making progress? Are we proven after two years? Okay, well, I took that one off because we accomplished it. You know, it should be something with a storeroom, something with your effectiveness, whether it's like how many, you know, uh, corrective work orders you get from a PM. You know, if you have zero, then you're doing too much PM. You know, there should be some bogey or percentage that, hey, you know, we do, we're getting, you know, all these uh, corrective measures that we're identifying. So, we're, you know, a fairly effective PM program. Another thing I think is um, tracking your wins, you know, and actually keeping a spreadsheet. You know, these are the avoidance that we've been able to do. These are previous problems that we had and we, you know, we figured out and we, we solved this one. You know, we're going on the next one. You know, maybe it's based on your mean time between failures or just doing, you know, some analysis. You know, maybe based on your failure cause remedy codes, you know, that you have that, you know, that we have in our work order closeout screen you know, you kind of identify, you know, we're having more electrical problems than maybe what we, we would expect or desire. And, you know, auditing, you know, nobody likes audits, but, you know, it's it's an area that uh, can, can really pay off because uh, people usually have a lot of pride, you know, and they want to do good. Think if it's across plants, you know, I've been in a place where I've actually been one of the auditors and gone in and, um kind of, you know, have like that spider diagram and all these different areas of maintenance, you know, it's all something that, you know, the corporate folks kind of came up with and, you know, a little bit of input to it. And, and it, you know, it's a, it's a good measure and a good, you know, gap assessment of things that you should be doing and getting better at. Um, but yeah, actually, before I get to this one, sorry. Um, yeah, failures of limitation. So, <clears throat> I would like to say that everything I've done has been golden and I'd be lying through my teeth. Um, a few things in my, my you know, currently that I run into besides budget, you know, usually is, is can be a, a concern is, you know, my boss says, hey, I want to do root cause analysis. I thought, great, you know, so, you know, I go out and look at all the softwares and I end up with using Soul logic. you know, I thought that was a good one, you know, there's also like think reliability and, and ARM out there, you know, has good softwares, and, you know, got a whole policy procedure all detailed out, and um, had training, I got, like, engineers, I got operations people, you know, we, we went, had, like, three days, we went through case, you know, real situations, and generate everything, and the whole premise was that our directors in operations would say, okay, yep, I need an RCA done on that. Well, I kid you not. A year went by, and we didn't do a single RCA. And even though I bring it up, talk about it, it just it just didn't happen. And finally, after about a year, our senior vice president of operations say, "Hey, Lee, we had this incident. That, you know, we opened the wrong breaker. You know, we you know shut off a customer, which is a really big deal in data center. You know, when their server goes down, right? Um, and so I, I went through the whole nine yards. You know, did the cause and effect, and did all that. A nice report. Submitted it up. So never heard anything more. So at some point I just okay, well, it's we're just, maybe we're just not at the point, you know, in this company or a little bit too small and just haven't got to that point. And we still really haven't. I don't have uh, any connection between my purchasing system and my CMS, you know, so I, I can't tie POs to work orders, you know, track all those costs and invoices of everything. And just, we just don't have that yet in my company. I think I was there my first year, been there about six months, I created a roadmap. Here's our reliability roadmap. You know, I got my senior VP of operations, my directors, we all kind of go through, you know, I got all my elements and, you know, I got like four levels, you know, here's that all of them. And, you know, we, we went through, did the assessment, but, you know, it really wasn't anybody in the company had really been through a reliability journey before. And I was still building PM plans and still, so I think I just did it too early. I think now that I've been here about five years, I'm thinking now I'm really in a position where you know if I was able to hire a reliability engineer we can kind of go through and probably get some good benefit out of that and help educate people what reliability you know really means. We get a lot of folks out of the military, which is great, but you know there's a lot more in the reliability world than just what maybe the Navy does or the army does so those things are 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 really important challenges of course always the budget you know is it based on last year's as a a zero-based budget? You know, what's the cost benefit? Um, You know, challenges is just um, one bite at a time. That's the only way you can eat that elephant, right? And if you try to do everything at once, you probably will fail. So you have to kind of pick the low-hanging fruit, target that, solve that, and just keep looking, okay, what's the next low-hanging fruit? Just keep going you know, through all your processes that way. Um, You may have a challenge, maybe it's a union shop versus non-union that that can have its own challenges. Finding skilled workers, all that, you know, that's kind of a universal thing. You know, maybe you have all these corporate programs. I did my best to try to keep them on my plant as much as possible. Um, And when they came in, as long as I had my ducks in a row, everything just went a lot, you know, smoother that way. So takeaways how do I lead you know what's your style? you know are you collaborative are you more top down more bottom up you know um you know are you kind of having empathy with your folks? are you flexible enough that you know hey, they got this you know the the kid got sick you know, and sometimes you know some plants I've been in they have like an attendance policy and it's pretty rigid you know there are certain ways you can kind of work around that as a supervisor and give people breaks you know, when it when it's due, but you gotta make sure you're consistent. You know, the crux of everything is how do you improve your process. You know, have that roadmap, do all the things you can with all the elements to make sure that you know you're you're in the right direction and that you the people are going, you know, with you. You're capturing their, their results, you know, that they that you're looking for and you're communicating them. And making sure that people know that you're making progress and get input from folks. Because so they'll they'll give it to you. As long as you, uh, they know that you're going to do something with it. You know that's the key. Like resources are here's a, just a few that I came up with. You know, smrp has got a wealth of good stuff. You know, they got a whole data bank of KPIs. They recommend. I've actually been on the um, on the committee where we where we've been going through all those books and knowledge things. And in my opinion, it's a little bit over the top. Some of it's like. You know, look at international standards, which is good, but really crossing every T and I and the wording, they, they really go to the nth degree to make sure that they're that they're good and they have a lot of different considerations in there. So they're well worth you know looking at. Reliability Web, if you haven't been on our website, they just about six, seven months ago, they you know published an uptimes element and implementation guide. So they have like consortiums and working groups. I was actually on one for data centers. You know, we had you know a guy like um you know the the CEO of Iris, Martin Robinson. We had Alan Ross, you know, who's running the EPRA and did a lot of work with S. D. Myers. And we had a you know a guy from Facebook on there. Uh, a guy from CBRE. They're just a company that they go out and operate a lot of data centers for some company and don't want to have their own, you know, own employees do it. Well, there there's a different one that they created this, you know, practitioner kind of folks to say, hey, you know, these are some things I run into, some stumbling blocks, and here's how, kind of how I got around. So it's a real good, real good guy. University of Tennessee does a lot of great things. You know, they have like a bachelor's degree in reliability. I think they have a master's. Um, the guy that runs that, Klaus Blanche, you know, he was worked for, the Glo- he was a global RCM guy for reliability guy for General Motors. And he's been there, I don't know, 12, 15 years University of Tennessee. He's just really done a lot to build that program. They have co-ops, you know, that you can get. And I've got some good experience with some of my companies. We got, you know, some farm boys came in. They were going through a two-year degree, you know, learning PLCs and whatnot. You know, we paid them, you know, for, you know, a semester coming in. And uh, that was a great way to learn what they know and what work ethic they have. And so, two of them we end up hiring. You know, really great employees. So that's a good area. You know, partnership. You know, with your local, you know, community college, or maybe even a tech school of some kind. You know, of course, you know, Mubray Smith can't say anything more. Reliability conferences. You know, there's some great ones out there. SMRP has a good one. That reliable plant that I mentioned. You got the International Maintenance Conference. Come up here next month. Run by Reliability Web. There's also good ones for uh, CMS platforms. There's one for Maximo, you know, actually, you know, there's one for e-maintenance, I've gone to that every year. And, and those folks are kind of focused on reliability, just like fluke reliability. A lot of respect for them. You know, they'll, they'll bring all their toys, you can IR scanning and whatnot. You know, you'll see like the new technology, motion amplification, that is really cool. That can really help you solve some problems by that long-term camera and you see foundations moving and, you know, things like that, it's really good. UE Systems has a good one for ultrasonic equipment. You know, if that's an area that you want to, you know, focus on, you know, in trade magazines, you know, there's all kinds of ones out there. You know, Plant Engineering, Plant Services is a good one. Um, efficient Plant, those are all good ones that kind of go across, you know, all industries. And of course, you know, I have to mention, you know, this this book that I wrote. This has a lot of tools and things that I mentioned, but I, I put in here like spreadsheets and checklists. You know, things that I've actually used, you know, I wish I kind of had that information when I first started out. And plant services, um, I think it was in February. Um, Tom Wilk was, you know, kind enough to do a little article and like a book review. He's got some pretty good information. That's a a link to that. So all these things really kind of help. So I think we're ready for questions. Eric, take it away.
0: Thanks, Lee. That was a great presentation. Appreciate that. Um, just before we jump into the questions, uh, as a reminder to everyone, today's webinar was recorded and uh, will be posted in the Fluke Reliability YouTube channel and we'll send out a link to everyone who attended. Um, also, I just wanted to send this poll one more time here now that we've got it working and uh, give everyone just a quick moment to answer that uh, before we jump into the questions section um a couple people did ask if the uh, deck will be available after the presentation yes we will share that as well as the recording all right just give this another moment here let everybody respond all right thank you robin um Lee, so to start things out, um we've got a number of questions already going here. Um if people still have questions, there's still time to put those into the QA chat box there and we'll get to as many as we have time for. Uh Lee, is there a reliability win you're proud of?
1: Yeah, I think um <clears throat> probably I guess the, the the biggest thing that I've done just in a company that I'm in is just getting organized with the the documentation part of it I I can't really put a a dollar figure on it really Um, but when I have had outside people kind of look at you know some of the programs and policies and procedures I created you know kind of sets that groundwork for it and sets you up to get those dollar you know you know wins you know know, of course I've always done IR scanning and fixed a lot of things and you know prevented I'm I'm sure a lot of failures and lubrication and Sometimes that that avoidance, you know, cost is something that's really kind of difficult to come up with. But you know, motor circuit analysis, you know, you know, I've had where you know we had a large, you know, 100 horse DC motor. You know, we're able to send out for a week and have them, you know, schedule, you know, like three months in advance and get that done and avoid, you know, having to get a spare. You know, which has been you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars. So it's it's really kind of hard to pin on just one win. And hopefully in your program there are lots of wins that you can, that you can uh, be proud of awesome speaking
0: of we have a lot of questions about uh storeroom and stocking strategies here um lee uh you talked about critical spares earlier and uh someone asked what's your methodology for deciding what quantity of spares to hold for a critical asset
1: yeah it's a really good question and Right now, I'm actually going through that with this company. I, and one of my previous companies, you know, I built. A, I went there and just crap all over the place. And you know, the maintenance corner I just keep ordering stuff that we already had on the shelf, but nobody had any idea. It took about two years. First, I had to identify a room and build it, get stores. I had six people for two years, basically stocking and organizing and barcoding and all that. It's really um, it, it's a, it's a major undertaking. And now you know, it's a little bit different flavor in a data center world because, you know, half of our equipment is all electrical distribution, a lot of switchboards, UPSs. There's a lot of power supplies, IO cards, um, you know, HMIs and different things. So, so what I've done is I have taken, okay, got all my operations managers together. And we said, okay, here's a generator. What do you guys consider is critical? And so we made a list, you know, okay, yeah, you know, I, I really need like my, my drive belt, you know, I don't really need a whole alternator, you know, um, but, you know, the, the obvious things, belts. Um, you may need an HMI, is that critical? You have to really assess it. Okay, does it affect the operation of it? Well, if I can't go in and troubleshoot, I got some alarm, maybe it is. But hey, I got 20 of them, you know, so having one spare HMI is probably a, a good idea. Um, you know, for that failure, but You know a certain number of power supplies i mean like with a bearing is kind of easy okay i got like one machine that's got you know these particular sets of of roller bearings so how many should i have it's critical you know it's important if that goes down and i don't have them then you know some things i like drive four hours to get it or whatever well you probably want to have three right you have two to put on the shafts in shaft ends then when one gets messed up in installation, you got that other spare. You know, so that's one philosophy. You know, one might be, well, geez, you know, we have like 12 of those bearings on that machine. You know, maybe you just don't, you know, maybe you need a couple extra. You know, maybe you have two bearings go out at the same time, God forbid. You know, but stuff like that happens or on a different machine, maybe you need five of them. I mean, you really have to go down, you know, the, and look at each individual one. And then you have to look at, can my vendor, you know, what's my vendor have? What can they keep on the shelf? I've had some critical bearings that were expensive that I had on consignment, you know, that, that they they had ready and available. So the more you can do of that, the better, kind of reduce your carrying cost. And now I'm looking at, okay, I have critical spares, but, you know, they my engineering people, you know, bless their heart, they bought all these spare parts kits, right? So that's great for the OEMs because they can sell them to you, but you don't need all that stuff. And we have stuff that we've had 10, 15 years still sitting on the shelf and who knows if we'll ever use it. And then you go to use it and they've had firmware changes, you know, maybe software, you know, all kinds of things that haven't been kept up with and it's almost worthless, or maybe you can't, it's beyond even installing new, you know, firmware. So you have to kind of keep up with with that stuff and decide, okay, do I want to do a, maybe a vendor managed? Like we've looked at Snyder Electric and they've just started where they'll keep your circuit breakers you know, and PLCs and different things. And they'll they'll keep it up to date. They'll do they'll check it out every year. They'll cycle that breaker. You know, they'll do the you know field changes and things. And so now I'm looking at well, where do we put all this? And we're, I'm actually looking at a third party maybe. It works in the Navy anyhow, over in Mechanicsburg, PA. You know, they whatever the ship needs, they send them all out. I haven't seen that work in my manufacturing days. It's always been each plant, but now they're building our, all these data centers. We have 13 of them. They're gonna build eight more in the next 18 months. You know, they're not building them with a storeroom. We don't have a place to put it. So do you build an, you know, a storage shed outside? You know, and then it depends on the weather. So all, all those considerations you gotta go in and then what do I really need right there? It has to be a systematic thing. It's cross-functional operations, like engineering, you know, your maintenance guys, you know, it takes some time, but and for me, we haven't had parts in the system. So I'm like, OK, well, I don't even know what my history is. So I've reached out to our my OEMs like, hey, uh, Snyder, can you give me a list of all the parts we bought in the last three years? So at least I know what we bought. You know, I don't know if, how many of them we use for sure, but kind of gives you an indication, hey, we bought eight of these things. I'm sure we had to use some of them. That's another way you can kind of get that history if you don't have it. So probably a long answer to a simple question. <laughs>
0: No, that was great. I think there's a lot to unpack there. This this one's a comment, Lee. Uh, someone says, I can't emphasize enough the point you made about communicating with your service providers to understand the problems they find and the problems they anticipate uh, will occur. Lee, do you have any advice on how to best kind of download and act on problems spotted by service providers?
1: Yeah, yeah. so, well, the first thing you need to do is, is get the service report. You know, sometimes we don't even have them. We found out a problem with some generator oil and they did the analysis a year ago and we didn't even have the, nobody ever looked at it. So when you have to organize those and somebody has to be designated to look at it. So if are just, you know, one plant and you know, I would do it myself, you know, bigger plants somebody has to be responsible for it. And then when you do it, you validate it. You know, maybe you have to dialogue a little bit. You know, hopefully you've looked at it with them and you have all your questions answered and to validate. Yeah, that's a real problem. You got to create the work orders, and then they get into the system, and you just do all the planning, you know, just like you do all your corrective work orders, and you assign it to the right priority, because it may be something, maybe you need to investigate more. So it doesn't need to be, you know, entered as an emergency work order, you know, but you want to still track it, and once you put it in the system, and you use your CMMS properly, then you can get to it in order of when you should. Awesome, thank you.
0: Um, Someone asked, what have you used in the past as pass fail indicators while IR scanning?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I've actually just relied on the expertise of the of the people doing it. You know, they, they do it day in, day out. They look at the ambient temperature, right? So you look at the, you know, you know, when you get the report, you got the picture, right? And you see, oh, this one's really like a bright yellow you know, or a, a red and all the different colors. Um, so it's really a relative thing. And particularly if you have like equipment, they go down it. So I've just kind of gone off the, um, I don't know if it's ANSI, somewhere. It might be an ANSI thing where they have a table. Maybe ANSI need an MTS, you know, where they, they kind of give some parameters of, of the change in degrees and difference in degrees. So I think just using that industry standard. That's certainly the best way to start. And maybe we find it a lot better than I have, and come up with a little bit more, you know, uh, closer windows, you know, where you can, you know, sense things a little bit quicker. Okay.
0: This uh, next question kind of plays off that one a little bit. Uh, do you have advice for good ways to communicate wins across the team, uh, like like the IR and vibration analysis you mentioned?
1: Yeah, it, it just really depends on how your organization is set up. So. Hopefully, there's like communication meetings from management down. And so like in our operations department, they have a a monthly all-hands where the senior vice president goes through things. And actually tomorrow, myself and my scheduler, we we were able to get a 15-minute window. And we're going to talk about our CNMS because over this last year, we started doing quarterly audits. And we're looking at, you know, how good is the, the work order information? You know, are they selecting the right? you know, priority codes, are you selecting the right types, all those types of things and we're collecting data on it. So even though I email this report out, I don't know if it's getting everybody. And even though I I now have, or a year ago, my CMMS administrator does like a monthly newsletter and we send it out to all operations folks. You know, all I hear is "Well, I get too many emails and you know, I don't have time to look at all these things. So now I say, okay, well, we get this all hands, which a majority of people do, and they do record it. You know, we that's maybe another way we can uh, communicate, and hopefully, maybe there's like some all hands um, documents or other newsletters for other departments you can tap into, or join one of their crew meetings or department meetings. Say, hey, can I get a five minute slot, you know, and talk about this? Those types of things go 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 a long way.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Lee. Uh, I know we're a couple minutes over. I'm just going to take a couple questions more, though, because it looks like we still have pretty much everybody in the room, and there's still tons of questions pouring in. So I'll just uh, <laughs> pose a couple more your way, Lee, if that's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm good. Someone asks, uh, what's the best way to track KPIs like downtime and NTBF on a more regular basis?
1: Um, well. I do a monthly scorecard, so we have probably 12 things that we look at, like how many emergency work orders are there? You know, how much labor have I spent on PMs? How much labor have we spent on corrective work orders? You know, what overdue PMs I have? And that kind of, we kind of do it by building. So every site has their own little line. And I just felt that monthly was probably enough. I I haven't run, I've really been running the meantime between failure about every six months um, in this company. The first time I ran it a couple years ago, the worst offender was a building <laughs> because people weren't going drilling down and picking the right asset. So it's taken a while. So that's not the case anymore. Last time I ran it about six months ago, our, our chiller plants, you know, showed up and they've been had a lot of issues with different sensors and things. So that kind of really helped drill down. When I did it in, in the, the one, company I was with where I had the monthly um, plant manager and strategy kind of a meeting, you know, I did it every month, you know, and, um, and then we would look at previous months and then we would kind of compare which ones are now showing their ugly head and, you know, which ones are, are kind of gone away, you know, did it on a monthly basis, but at least it, you know, we had SAP and they, they had a pretty good, you know, place you could go in and kind of drill down and get really a lot of good you know detail and have all your you know all your components in there and all your hierarchy and so that worked pretty good so I, maybe start small maybe once a quarter you know just run it once see what you get um, but you got to make sure one that you're getting the right information you know that i had some some reports that just came in our cms that were like blanket ones that they just install i'm like oh wait a minute you know this really isn't giving me a true meantime between failures. So make sure you understand fully the data they are getting and then go back and look at some work orders, maybe calculate one manually, you know, to validate the data too. So you don't, you know, run off chasing a rabbit somewhere.
0: Thank you. Uh, How do you manage obsolescence?
1: Yes, yeah, so that's one thing that we use our, I know there's different terms, CMMS, EAM, asset management, you got all these softwares. So what I've done in our e-maintenance is created some fields, which is really nice, why I like it. And um, I have an end of life date, right? So, I'm, you know, we went out, got installation dates of all the equipment. We have a policy for our lifetime management, say, okay, our UPS, it'll last about 20 years. So we put that in there and then, Once a year, get ready for budget. We can go in and and download all that information. We can sort, say, okay, well, these are the things that come up every year for the next five years, and then feed that, you know, into um, our capital planning. So that has worked well that way. Obsolescence. You know, I I added a field in for uh, your software, firmware version, so we can put that in there. We have these. um, There's uh, just some. It's called JACE, I'm not sure what it stands for, but it's like a little mini microprocessor and they all got different version numbers. So we did some upgrading. So we went out and inventoried them and got the current, you know, software version number or maybe it was firmware. And then our uh, capital play people said, okay, well, this is a number I have and this is where they are. And then they went out, you know, and, and did the upgrades. That's invaluable, but it's time consuming to go get all that information, you know, PLCs and some of that stuff you get 10 years, maybe 15 at the most. So, I, If you can leverage your CMS and put all that stuff in there, I think that's the best way because then you can just provide that to upper management. Hey, here's what we got. And some of them maybe they'll be impressed, but if nothing else, at least you provide the information. To. All
0: right, we're now uh, five minutes over. So uh, I'm gonna just pose one more question here to you, Lee, that I think, uh, Sums it up uh pretty well. Um someone asked, what's the most important takeaway you hope the audience got from this presentation?
1: Yeah, I, I think you have to find your uh your leadership style because it's like the captain of the ship. You're the one steering it, and yep, you, you got control of that rudder, you know, but are, are people following you? And one thing that I've done every year, and I actually put that in my personal company goals as a development, is I pick a book. You know and i read it and then i take notes and i think about take a self-assessment like and i actually got a couple books you know being a military guy but this is a good one written by an army uh, colonel in extremist leadership thomas kolditz i think that's a really you know leading as your life depend upon it me and yeah, manufacturer we're not there in the front lines we're not shooting you know bullets and that kind of a thing but he's got some really great parallels you know one thing. You know, I got to my first, you know, um, company and I just got out of the Navy. You know, and sometimes I heard my guys say, well, we're not in the Navy. And, and, you know, it's different trying to get the ship underway and making sure you got everything going, the manufacturing. But there can definitely be some parallels. Another one I read, you know, just this year I thought was good. Another military one. Sorry, let me get this right area. You know, Bronze Rules, Managing Risk and Leadership by Rear Admiral Dave Oliver. I thought you know, he did a really good job. You look at real world stories, and there's some out there. And it's not just military people. You know, you know, if you look at John Maxwell, he's got a lot of great stuff. He's got a great, a lot of, and some of them are smaller. You know, easier to digest, you know, and implement and things. So, just focus on that leadership first, and get those foundations for all those things. You know, I got my storeroom, I got my PM plan, I got all these things, and then just keep working it.
0: All right, thank you so much, Lee.